start to the podcast. <laughs> so welcome. This is American Graffiti, one song at a time. And today, all three DJs are in the booth together. I just almost said VJs. I'm going to date myself <laughs> so much. <laughs> podcast. We are the MTV generation after all. <laughs> I had to like make my mouth form the letter D. So before we get into this first segment, let's really quickly introduce ourselves. I'm just doing the alphabet thing. Hi, Doris. Hi, hi, I'm Doris. I'm not in the US. <laughs> so I'm an outlier here. But we've corrupted you with our American ways and cars and rock <laughs> absolutely, and roll. Absolutely, because this movie that we're going to talk about for, let's say, 50 episodes is absolutely nothing that you could experience where I live. Where are you from? <laughs> well, I'm in Germany. So on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean... A couple of hours away from you. And very far away from California. <laughs> For those who have listened to Movies by Minutes podcast before, you might have noticed from our title, we're doing things a little bit differently. Instead of doing one minute of screen time per episode, we're going to cover one song per episode. We've cut up the movie by the music within it, and a few that don't have music, but they're very few and far between. Each week, one of us will take over hosting duties, be the DJ for that week. And uh, if you tune into Doris's Weeks, you're going to hear a lot of accents because I'm pretty sure every single person who's not in the U.S. is on your week's Doris. Probably. The other person you are hearing is Rachel Mummert. Hello. Rachel, it's so good to be podcasting with you again. It is. Last summer, Rachel was kind enough to join me on A League of Their Own one inning at a time, and she's back for more summer fun. I caught that podcasting bug. (laughs) And what a great movie to start it with. Oh, yeah. So little Tom Hanks in this movie, but maybe we can (laughs) find his opinion on American Graffiti. And I am Tierney Steele. I talk a lot. I'm sorry. I podcast. At least I channel it into something productive. You may know me as One Steel Sister because that's my website and that's where you'll find my previous podcasts, including A League of Their Own, as well as my guest appearances because I've been doing this Movies by Minutes thing for literally years. I can't say decades yet because podcasts haven't really existed that long. (laughs) But yes, I caught that podcasting bug definitely and... I really needed to rein it in (laughs) because it was getting out of control. And so I invented the series VCR Privileges, where each summer we just have some fun looking at a movie that I watched over and over again in summers when I was a kid, or in this case, when I was a teenager. Really? Yeah. um, I mean, well... We'll get no, into I'm that a one. Teenager. Yeah, we'll get into <laughs> it. Um, but yes, we are talking about American graffiti. If you don't know what American graffiti is, I would highly recommend that you watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my first note will be that the title American graffiti doesn't really give you much, and I absolutely love that George Lucas came up with the title American graffiti and would not let it go. So many people were like, "George, this is not a great title. It doesn't." No one knows what this movie is about. No one gets it but you. (laughs) There were like, what, 70 alternate titles suggested by the studio or something? Yeah. Yeah, there's a crazy list we'll have to share on our social media that the studio and even Francis Ford Coppola was like, can we at least consider some others, please? (laughs) But he stuck to his guns. 
He said, nope, that's the title of my movie. And it gives us so much about George Lucas. He really, he likes what he likes. He doesn't want to uh, budge. Yeah. And he doesn't like studios interfering. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing that the studio slightly interfered with that I think works is when the movie starts, we see Universal and then the Lucasfilm and the Coppola. So... Right away, those are three big players. Yeah. Coppola was putting him up front as as the big name at the time. Yep. You're only getting our money if we have one big name on your screen credits. (laughs) And that is Francis Ford Coppola. Using that Godfather clout. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I did love, I saw an interview years later where Lucas was talking about how they told him they needed a big name. And he's like, but this is a movie about teenagers. So I don't have any big names. And that was, and then literally when he got Francis on board, he went to the studio and was like, is Coppola a big enough name for you? (laughs) (laughs) And I doubt he said it like that, but I really like in my mind, that is how I will always picture it. And how big was Ronnie Howard at that point in time? Was he a name still or yet? So this is a very in-between time. Uh, First of all, I absolutely love that it's Ronnie Howard and Charlie Martin Smith. In the yes. Crowd. I mean, yeah. they were still, they were literally teenagers at that time. Yeah. The only ones, actually. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I think the others were in their 20s or 30s, and Harrison Ford was in his 30s, I think. Yeah. Um, 31. So the person who did casting had worked on the Andy Griffith show and oh. and May, oh God, Mayberry. And so he knew that Ron Howard was aging out of being Opie and not really doing anything else yet. But he thought, you know, maybe this kid can do it. Maybe he can make that transition from child actor to adult actor. So he got him an audition. I do love that there was some sort of miscommunication and Ron Howard thought he was auditioning for a musical. (laughs) That's hysterical to me. (laughs) And also that um, George Lucas did not bother to correct him. Oh, wow. It is a musical. Yeah. That, kind that's of what George Lucas, because Ron yeah. Howard went in and he had this, you know, quick conversation, but a conversation with George Lucas. And he's like, but I got to, I got to be honest with you up front. I cannot sing. So I don't know if I'm right for this. <laughs> and George Lucas kind of looked at him funny, like, I'm sorry, what? And he's like, I can't sing. And he's like, don't worry about it. It's like, but I thought this was a musical. And George Lucas was like, it is. Okay, see ya. And he's like walking out of the office being like, what? It, what just happened? <laughs> I mean, it is a very topical musical. It's just the songs tell the story. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the song and then we'll get back to our credits? We'll move into technical credits before we uh, watch Charlie Crash a Vespa. (laughs) (laughs) Best introduction ever. (laughs) Oh, man. This introduction. So we need to talk about the song that introduces this movie, that kicks off this movie, that starts it all. And it is Bill Haley and his comets rock around the clock. 1954, one of the key songs in making rock and roll mainstream. If not the key song. Yeah. At least for me, it is the key song. Mm -hmm. I guess it's the first rock and roll song I ever listened to. You wouldn't be alone in that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and kind of really is, is the perfect song because it frames the night. We're going around the clock in this movie and yeah. fits it so well. True. It came out in 1954. So like you were saying, kind of kicks that off. One thing I have to admit, I don't really know what this means, but it's a 12 bar blues format. So if you're a musician listening to this podcast, that probably meant something to you. And I, I know those words, but I do not yet know what they mean. <laughs> I'm currently 
finally learning to play the drums and it's becoming very clear to me how little I know about music because <laughs> people say words and I'm just like, whoa, none of that meant Well, you're anything. one step ahead of me there, so. But this was used in the movie Blackboard Jungle. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so it became synonymous with re- the rebellious teenagers of the 50s taken over. Welcome to the baby boomer generation. Yes, the greasers. Yes. And so once that movie came out and it became famous, it was released as its own single. It took off. It was huge. Bill Haley had just been a country star. This was their first big break. It's weird. They weren't one hit wonders. They had other hits, but this was so big that like they just ended up touring like in Mexico (laughs) within like five (laughs) years. They were doing that circuit. I think it just was so big that it was kind of like, what else do we do? And they needed to wait for it to be a cool retro thing. And then they could be famous again. I mean, it made them, um, it re-entered the charts after um, American Graffiti came out. Mm -hmm. So, And it was the original Happy Days theme song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Happy Days. Yeah, I guess, I guess we can talk a little bit about the happy days connection here because boy was the tv show going for that (laughs) absolutely i always thought it was like a direct retelling of the story but it isn't i have to admit i'm a little fuzzy on on happy days i've watched it but a long time ago and just once yeah i would watch it on nick at night i always think of the theme song for it the monday tuesday happy days (laughs) i don't think of this as the theme song but, I mean, starring Ron Howard, set in the 50s, and then Buddy Weezer's Buddy Holly came out. I mean, he kind of couldn't escape it entirely. And didn't uh, Paul Lamont's character, they based Fonzie on his character? Like the greaser, I mean, kind of? must have, but Fonzie hmm. and Milner are Except very for the hairdo? Different people, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Milner is kind of broody. Well, we'll get later this week. We'll talk about when he's a sensitive little baby, but we'll get there. Uh, Yeah. There are two other like touchstones I have for the song Rock Around the Clock. One is that it was used in Bull Durham, which I only first saw for the first time in 2019 or 2020. That all blurs together. (laughs) When you were on a Movie by Minutes podcast about it. Yes, I was. I'd never seen Bull Durham. And so the host, Sully, had me come on and he sent me just the first three minutes and made me talk about what the movie was going to be like (laughs) based on those three minutes. And then he had me come back during the credits when I'd actually seen it and be like, okay, so that was not what I was expecting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the song was on there. They use this when they're at the minor league stadium. And then the other touchstone, again, like I said, I'm very much dating myself here, is um, if you were a certain age in 1994, you watched Oksana Bayol and Victor Petrenko (laughs) ice dance to a rock and roll medley. And these songs are burned into my brain. I can't not think of that. And uh, this was a rock around the clock was a big part of that. If you look up 1994 Oksana Bayul medley, you will find the gloriousness that was How to Be Cool in 1994. (laughs) And from the crickets, I will take it that I was alone in being way too obsessed with the Lillehammer Olympics, and we'll move on. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I might be dating myself as well, because I'm a little older. Mm. (laughs) So I was no longer a teenager back then. (laughs) 
Okay. So the bright color, the the neon color blocking. <laughs> yeah. You escaped that. Actually, I'm pretty jealous because there is some very incriminating photos of me from that era. <laughs> so much neon. It was so bright, guys. <laughs> yeah. I still love the neon signage in the movie, though. Yeah. Yes. This is the OG neon. <laughs> the OG neon. It's also the OG Lucasfilm um, logo. Mm. I just noticed because they changed it in everything else. Lucasfilm, not in this one. Yeah, I wonder maybe because it has that slash Coppola. Maybe. Sure. Maybe it's I already over the um, over Mel's uh, drive-in. What I really like about this is the tuning of the radio in the beginning. Gets yeah. you into the mood right away. Yeah. Let's bop back to Mel's diner and these credits. I really like the, like, this is a tight cast. I, it's like, here's four boys, three girls, and a wolfman Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, Harrison Ford is a co-star. I do really like, I have seen him say that this was his first role that he felt was actually important to the story of the movie. So American Graffiti was an important movie to him. This was at the height of Harrison Ford Carpenter as opposed to Harrison Mm. Ford actor. Yeah, Harrison Ford doing the studio door time. (laughs) Fred Roos, the the casting director, Mm -hmm. it all went from there. Fred says that he kind of had to convince him to go for this because I think Harrison had two kids by this point. Yeah. I I mean, he was he was paying bills. He was feeding children and going and being on location while they filmed was probably not ideal. But obviously it worked out. (laughs) There are also some technical credits. I just want to take a note of visual consultant Haskell Wexler because- I watched the making of, he's a delightful person. Like his interviews are just so interesting. So I know at least on my weeks, I'm going to be talking a lot about (laughs) Haskell Wexler's involvement in the film. Editors, we have Verna Fields and Marshall Lucas, two names that if you're super into movies of this time, probably are very familiar. Especially if you're into Star Wars. Yeah. (laughs) And we have Gary Kurtz. Well, also connected to Star Wars but also connected to Return to Oz, my first podcast I ever did as Walter Murch. So I have to give him a shout out. <laughs> and then we have Willow Duick and Gloria Katz, mm. which we'll see connected to Lucas several times. Did you guys hear about the story of their involvement in the script? I read about it. <laughs> I mean, they were kind of like last minute, please save me. They were first minute and last minute. <laughs> <laughs> So Lucas had the general idea. He'd come up with a few outlines and like character descriptions, but it was literally like, you know, a handful of post-its. And Bill and Gloria, B and G in all my notes, helped him develop a 15-page treatment that he could shop around. And he did that for over a year (laughs) with nothing happening. Finally, he got a bite. I believe it it was United Artists said, all right, here's some money. Write us a script. Good luck. And he called... Bill and Gloria and said, great, I got some money. I need the script. And they were like, I'm sorry, we're doing other things. <laughs> we can't do it that quickly. And then he gave it to his, his friend, right? Yeah. So he hired his friend to write the script, gave him all the money and hated the script that he came up with. And so that's how George Lucas ended up writing this because he had to give something to United Artists and he had no money left to pay anyone else to do it. And so he did that. United Artists passes, but now at least he's got a script. 
Eventually, Universal gets it. And Universal bought the script just by George Lucas, but... George Lucas has said many times that writing scripts is not his favorite part of the process. And so that's when he called them again and was like, hey, I know this is last minute, but please come save me. And also wasn't his version way, way too long? Um, like three and a half hour long movie? <laughs> I know the first cut of this movie was three hours. Um, I don't know what it would have been based on. I've never been able to find the original script that that um, Bill and Gloria didn't help with. I don't know if that's floating around somewhere on the internet and just isn't crossing my path, but I, I this this version with all three names on it is what I've always seen. And it's very close to what you'll see on screen. It's not exact. Things change in the editing room. You know, it happens, but it is very close. One thing that's not in that script that is on screen is, well, Terry's entrance is in the script, obviously. Yeah, yeah, but I read that him crashing the Vespa is actually a uh, a blooper. Me too, I read that too. Not intended. But Lucas kept all the bloopers, basically, because <laughs> they made the characters feel so natural. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can read in the script, it does say, like, he's kind of wobbly. Like, it, it definitely implies that he is not, like, a champion Vespa rider. <laughs> <laughs> it is the, the perfect entrance for, for the Toad, though. Yeah, it's it is. so good. And I love Charles Smith. Charles Martin Smith has said that you see him and I caught it once I was looking for it. He looks in the direction of the camera because he was expecting them to call cut. And then when they didn't is when he was like, OK, and just like walked over <laughs> to Ron Howard. Because like, he holds his hand up, too, after it crashes, kind of like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> like he thought that was it, like cut. <laughs> yeah, but you can always interpret it as a. Oh, God, I hope the others didn't see it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I think he almost tries, he even tries to play it off like he's wiping his hair like, oh, yeah, no, that wasn't me freaking out. Yeah. Everything's cool here. Well, I love uh, yeah. after, you know, witnessing his crash, like Ronnie Howard's character. He, he's, you know, he still kind of entrusts Toad with his car. <laughs> his beloved, his beloved car. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, we'll get there. Yeah, so the beloved car is a 1958 Chevy Impo Chevrolet Impala, and the Vespa is a 1959 Piaggio Vespa GS160. And then we have Kurt, who comes in oh. a French de je veux. I was okay. Doris is now in charge was. of saying any French words. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a 1967 Citroen 2CV. It is anachronistic. There was a 1962 2CV that was available in the US, obviously still very rare, but it was it was totally different. Like the car nerds that I saw discussing this on the internet were like, okay, not I mean, we know this is a 1967, but even if we were just looking at it, we would know it wasn't that 62 model. Uh, see, Doors I are wouldn't. different. Things are different. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was just like, you guys seem to know what you're talking about. Sure. <laughs> and then they all started dunking on it and what a terrible car it was and it was pretty hilarious <laughs> well for such a terrible car it had a long long life <laughs> so this was uh, just I and I think they meant terrible in comparison to like the cruisers but this was a very conscious choice that Kurt would have a car that didn't match everyone else and yeah. he's not really part of this scene yeah that that's what I thought it, he's the only one with a European car the cheap car. It's not a shiny boat like the others. Yeah. Which, to me, how realistic would it have been for teenagers to drive those cars? 
I mean, Lori comes in her parents' car. Yeah. But Steve? Steve has his baby. How long do you have to have a paper round for to buy that car? <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> oh, well, we'll talk cars later this week, definitely. I don't know Steve's circumstances. And later they're talking, uh, Terry is describing something in Steve's car. And people are like, I mean, not that he couldn't have done that, but look at the character of Steve. And do you really see him like switching out engines and stuff like that? <laughs> they were like, pretty sure we're supposed to believe that Terry is just making it up. But like, it's not impossible. It was one of those things where if they were saying it about John, everyone been like, oh, yeah, of course. Hmm. He just switched it out. That's that's totally a thing you could have done. But they looked at Steve in his khakis and thought, mm, I don't know. <laughs> but that's where our first segment ends. We don't really get to know these guys yet. Just although you're right, that Vespa crash is doing a lot of character development on its yeah. own. <laughs> the three of us, um, myself, Rachel, Doris, we're going to come back tomorrow. All this week, we're just... Getting to know each other, getting to know this movie. Uh, and then we will move right along with the soundtrack. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to talk about in this first episode? Well, I'm fine. We do have a whole week to... Exactly. We got to Get into ourselves. the swing of things. The groove. Rock around the clock. <laughs> well, if you are looking for more of our podcast or following along, if you go onto Facebook, we have a listeners group. The Mel's... Listen and drive in. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I just always call it Mel's in my head and then forget. Yeah. Like, We're there are other words. Exactly. <laughs> it's still kind of mm, not much conversation going on yet, but this is about yeah. to change. Yes. We'll <laughs> get there. We'll get there. If you are looking for us outside of Facebook on Twitter and Instagram, look under VCR Privileges. All one word. That is the parent podcast series. Like I said, I'm doing one of these every summer. We're just picking a summer movie. And I. it sounds gross to say marinating in it, but <laughs> <laughs> letting ourselves enjoy every moment. So VCR Privileges is the place where I will post links and photos and information. Mel's Listeners Drive-In on Facebook. And then wherever you found this episode, whatever you're using to listen to podcasts, we will be back tomorrow with another episode. Subscribe, whatever you need to do. He's really fast, isn't he?